You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. So if you have a Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, you probably do actually on your smartphone. And uh, Google is the best concordance or the best Bible search tool you'll ever have. And so you can just type into Google 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 4, and up it will come. So everyone probably has access to a Bible this morning. I'd love for you to see the Scripture and not just believe what I say, but my job here is to point you to the Scripture, and I want to convince you that way. So that's why I really am excited about you guys bringing your Bible or just firing it up on your phone, and and so you can be convinced um, that way. 1 John 3 verses 4 through 10. So this is a tough text this morning. It's a tough text. And if we don't understand it rightly, a lot of you could walk out of here maybe feeling a bit disturbed by it. And I think it's going to challenge us this morning, and I think it's going to be really good. So I want to start this morning by just telling you the main theme of the text this morning. And it's not hard to see because of the repetition. The repetition. And then as we see this repetition, we're going we're to seek to understand this main theme and have it apply to our lives, okay? So here's the main theme this morning that I want you to see if I can convince you from the text. Here's the theme. Saying you're a Christian and living in sin with no repentance or growth probably means you're not a Christian, okay? Let me say that again. Saying you're a Christian... And living in sin, no repentance, no growth, probably not a Christian. So let's read our text. I want you to make note of the repetition in this text as we're reading it, okay? First John 3, starting in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning." The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother." Did you notice any repetition? What did you notice? Shout it out. Like, we're we're all family here. Don't be shy. What did you notice? Practice. Practice Practice what? Yep. Practice of sinning. Three times he says it. Make a practice of sinning. Anything else? Anybody else? Abiding. Yep. 
he says, keeps on sinning three times. So that's the most repeated in this text, verses 4 through 10. Keeps on sinning three times, makes a practice of sinning three times, okay? So it seems clear here that, that John has a target in mind. And we have to remember that this, this John actually lived, and he's writing to a first audience that actually lived. And they were, they were an actual church 2,000 years ago-ish, and they actually had problems. And he's writing to address those problems, right? We can't ever forget that. These are real people in a real place, in real history. And one of their problems was this, false teachers swirling around saying crazy things, just like we have today, Okay? And one of those crazy things that those false teachers were saying that the scholars will remind you of, it's not explicit in the text, but if you read all of 1 John, you can see it, is that there were teachers saying, you know what, you can be a Christian and live a lifestyle of sin, like just re- rejecting what God has said with your life, with no repentance, and still have assurance of salvation. Still say that you're a Christian and, and, and have confidence in that. That's what was swirling around in this ancient church. And John's writing and saying, that's not how it works. It'd be like saying, man, I, I've got this deep pornography habit. And a Christian leader comes and says, you know, it's all good. Christianity plus porn problem equals not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Or it's all good, Christianity plus gossiping all the time about people in the church, not that big a deal, don't worry about it. And John is writing to say, actually, it is a big deal. Holiness is a big deal, it really is. And he's writing to combat that, to correct that. Sin is a big deal in the life of a Christian. It's not something we toy with. It's not something we minimize. Remember the repetition that we saw in the text. What is it? Three times. Keeps on sinning. Makes a practice of sinning. Anyone who says, I'm a Christian while living a lifestyle of sin with no repentance, John says, the God's word says, false. Like, I don't believe you. Now, why would, why would John say that? Well, let's look back at the text. Look at verse 5 with me. And he wants to shine a light on Jesus now. Like Jesus is the centerpiece. Jesus is always the centerpiece. And he's talking about Jesus in verse 5 when he says, You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. So Christ, think about what he's doing here, setting up a contrast. Christ came to take away sins, not enable sin like these false teachers. Look at verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But here's the Jesus part. The reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the work of the devil. So Christ came to destroy the devil's work, not to enable it. You with me? 
So he's just setting up a contrast, and, and John does this over and over if you've been paying attention. He loves these stark contrasts, black and white. And he's saying on the one side, we've got Jesus and what he's all about, and then the other side is sin, and they don't mix. They don't go together, right? They should be like oil and water. They don't mix. They are at odds. These two things never go together. I was thinking this morning about what I could use to illustrate this, and I, I don't know why. Maybe the Holy Spirit gave this to me, or maybe I'm just burping up last night's pizza. But, like, I, the first thing I thought of was when I was a kid, we had a cat, and we tried to give our cat, only once, we tried to give our cat a bath. Y'all ever had that experience? That cat, oh my gosh, I mean, it was like we were trying to like dip it into hot lava. I mean, he's just flailing everywhere and making this like weird low cat growl. And just like, I'll never forget it. I mean, he, it was like we were just going to like torture him to death by putting him in this water. Like he wanted no parts of that water. And he just endured it, and they came out, and he, you know, he had that grumpy face on. He's all wet, looks like a drowned rat, and, you know, he's just... Cats and waters, they, they do not mix. This cat wanted nothing to do with it, just flailing everywhere. Like, that's a metaphor for Christians in sin. That's what it should be like. Like, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that. Like, if I, if I dip my toe in that water... It might kill me. Like, that's what the cat was thinking, and that's what we should be thinking when it comes to sin. And that's the main thing that John's trying to communicate this morning in our text, is that saying you're a Christian and living in sin with no repentance or growth means you're probably not a Christian. So let's, let's tackle um, a problem or maybe an objection, a concern that I know raises up in my heart when I think about this text, and it's probably in a lot of your hearts as well, and that's this. A lot of us are thinking, but, but I do sin. I sin all the time. And sometimes it feels kind of habitual. Like, is, is that making a practice of sinning? Like, what's John getting at here? Because the language makes it sound like if we don't understand some other things, is John talking about sinless perfectionism? Is John talking about sinless perfectionism? Great question. And if all you had was this text, and we just read our Bibles in isolation, which, by the way, we never want to do, you could come up with that teaching, right? But this is a time right now to answer this question. Is John talking about sinless perfectionism? And if there's sin in my life, does that mean that I'm not a Christian? This is a great time to do a, a main principle that we have to know when we interpret our Bibles. And that principle is just simply this, interpreting Scripture with Scripture, okay? Interpreting Scripture with Scripture. So we can take this as a test case of doing that this morning. So anytime you come across something that might be troubling to you, and on the face of it, this text might say something that you're not really sure about, the, the next question you want to ask is, 
are there other parts of the Bible that speak to this thing that's troubling me? Okay? And you want to do that in concentric circles of context. Now, that sounds kind of complicated. Bear with me. It's very simple. What I mean is, if there's, I've got verse A right here, and I'm not really sure what it means, and it sounds kind of weird, and I'm not sure if I understand it. It might be disturbing based on some other things I've heard, and I'm going to go, okay, what's, what are the paragraphs around that verse? What does it say? That doesn't help me. What does the rest of the book say that that author is writing? Does it say anything? And then we might want to go, okay, so if it's in the New Testament, let's read all of the New Testament. What does all the New Testament say about this one issue that this verse raises? And then finally go to the whole Bible, right? So that's a really important principle when we come across tough things in the Bible. We want to let other parts of the Scripture speak in, and we let Scripture interpret Scripture. So, for example, what, is that, how, what would that look like here? Is John talking about sinless perfection in, in your life or you're not a Christian? Well, does John say anything about sin in the life of a Christian in other parts of the book of John? Yeah, he does. He does. You just flip back a page or scroll up a little bit to 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 8. You'll see it on the screen too. Here's what he says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. There you go. John seems to assume that there's going to be sin in the life of believers. He's writing to believers now. Okay? If we confess our sins, so if he expects sinless perfection or you're not a Christian, then we would have nothing to confess, right? But he's assuming we have things that we need to confess, right? And that we will be forgiven. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, pictured in baptism this morning, side note. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, he says it again, repetition. We make God a liar and his word is not in us. So it's clear that John believes that Christians are going to sin sometimes. You can just look at um, chapter 2, verse 1. Just keep reading. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Well, why would he say that unless he assumed that sin was maybe going to happen sometimes? But if anyone does sin, there it is. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's a gospel snapshot, right? He's the propitiation for our sins. That's a big Bible word that means the removal of God's wrath. Christ removes God's wrath from us by his sacrifice in our place. Okay, so right there, it sounds like in the context of the book of 1 John, he's not talking about sinless perfectionism, is he? seems to assume that Christians are going to sin. So go back to our text. When he says, verse 6, no one abides in him, no one who abides in him, no one who is a Christian, is joined to him, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. There's a repetition. So what's John getting at here? What John is getting at here is what I've already said, but I want to convince you from the text, is a lifestyle of sinning with no repentance, right? The key here is the language of keeps on sinning, makes a practice of 
sinning. This is the language of a continual action. A lifestyle with no repentance, no growth, like a settling down into sin, making your home there with no desire to change, with no desire to do what chapter one just said that we saw, to confess in light of conviction. Does that make sense? Like what you want to watch out for is, I know what God says, and I'm simply choosing to do the opposite. I will not trust his word in this area of my life, and yet I will still say that I'm a Christian. That's what John wants us to watch out for. So the issue is not sinless perfectionism. Jesus himself taught us to pray, forgive us our debts, our transgressions, our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Not sinless perfection, but the question is ultimately this, what is your attitude? What is your attitude about what God has said, about what God has revealed? Like, are we trying to make oil and water mix? We're trying to make the sin for which Jesus died palatable to him. Are we seeking to make the Holy Spirit and sin cohabitate inside of you? Like, is there a relaxed view of sin or is it warfare? A wartime mentality. Like, what what did Paul say? He uses violent language when he talks about sin in in Colossians 3.5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Then he goes to rattle on some of these earthly things. But it's just sin. I want to I just give you a couple quotes. I want to do a little application, then we'll be done, okay? Listen to a couple of these quotes. I, find, I found these really helpful in my study this week. John is not setting before us a terrifying perfectionism, but he's demanding a life which is ever on the watch. Again, that's an attitude word, right? I'm on the watch against sin. A life in which sin is not the normal accepted way, but the abnormal moment of defeat. This one's a little longer. Check this out. He writes to show the incongruity. That just means these are not equal. They don't go together. He writes to show the incongruity of the attitude of indifference to sin. Do you think it's acceptable for Christians to sin? Don't. Think again. It's not. For us, sin is the exception, not the rule. As Christians, we look to Christ. We are not sinless saviors of ourselves but we are sin-hating, sin-fighting images of our immaculate Emmanuel. While we still have sinful patterns or habits, some of which will plague us for life and others of which we we already have or will have conquered or controlled, our new habits of holiness are our prevailing lifestyle. Real and radical change has happened inwardly and outwardly. We have made a decisive break. Our way of life is not characterized by a life of sin, but a life of loving obedience. In other words, we, quote, practice righteousness. In light of the appearance of the righteous one and our future perfect righteousness, we really do practice righteousness by abiding in Christ. So 
What, what does this maybe look like in our modern world? Like our world hasn't changed that much. The human heart hasn't changed that much in 2,000 years, but contexts do change. Cultures do change. And I think in our, in our modern world, when it comes to this application, the quick, quickest application, I think, for us in, in our modern world, in, even in Madison, is that false teachers, modern false teachers, who say that they're Christian, but tell people they can have sex in ways that don't correspond to God's word. And it's okay. It's happening all of the time. Denominations are dividing. My, my denomination I was raised in, the ELCA, is dividing over this right now. Lots of other ones, the RCA, Reformed Church of America, Methodists. Did God really say, is ultimately the question that comes from the garden. Satan's first question to Eve was questioning God's word. Did God really say, and man, there's, God, here's where, where I'm really nervous right now because we have to have a great theology of sex to not like hear what I'm saying this morning and go crazy with what about this, what about this, what about that, and I don't have time to give a theology of sex um, that is robust and from Genesis to Revelation, there's a lot to be said there for why Christians have the sexual ethics that we have. Okay, so just bear with me in that. But there are false teachers that say today very often that you can have sex in a lot of different ways. Everyone thinks I'm thinking homosexuality right now, and I'm not. There's a lot of ways that we can sin against God sexually, whether it's pornography, premarital sex, lust that's out of control in the office for someone that's not your spouse. Any way that is not God's revealed way of one man, one woman for life um, is sin, and there's lots of false teachers out there that say it's it's just not. And God didn't really say it's a problem. It's a really big problem, and I think John's word this morning speaks to that. Like if you if you're practicing, if you're living in that, or you're like, I can sleep with my girlfriend. It's no big deal. And that's the lifestyle you're living in with no repentance. John says, think again. Everyone thinks Christians are obsessed with sex. We're not. So I'll give you another one that has nothing to do with sex that I think we really need to pay attention to. Is a lot of people in the church have made a lifestyle of, of gossiping. And we, the way we talk about other believers in the church family can be so destructive. And, and it, it never really gets checked. It never gets called out. And relationships are destroyed. You know, this, this, I call it this horrific triangulation where it's like, I'm talking... To, if. Uh, this is the bad example. I'm, I'm talking about someone over here to someone over here. So we got this triangle, right? 
where I should just, we don't talk about people, we talk to people. So I should go to this side of the triangle immediately. And that's, it never makes a triangle. It's just one straight line, right? Geometry lesson this morning, okay? I hate geometry. I was horrible at it, but I'm good at this one. But look at what happens if I talk to this person about this person over here. What happens? A lot of things happen. Number one, this person immediately has thoughts placed in their brain about this person that has nothing to do with this person over here, but it's shaping their view. So when they see that person in the lobby, they're probably not thinking, oh, there's my sister in Christ. What they're thinking is, oh, there's that person that Zach told me about. Maybe I need to watch out for them. And what happens? Really subtly, really subtly, community is undermined. And what what does verse 10 say? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. By me speaking to this person about this person, I'm eroding at the chance that this person is going to love this person. You, You feel me? It happens all the time. It happens all the time, and it never gets called out. It never gets, gets rebuked. And, and John is saying this love, these dynamics of love in our relationships, really, really big deal. But sometimes Christians, we baptize gossip and, and just say, yeah, it's not that big a deal. No, it's, it's horribly destructive in the church for which Jesus died. Like we've been seeing in 1 John over and over again. We're going to see it next week really strong as well. Our relationships are a huge deal. Huge deal. They're a huge deal for the witness to the world. So if we hate people enough to habitually do this horrible triangulation, it might mean that the love of the Father is not in us. If there's no repentance, if someone corrects you on that and you're defensive, and you're just like, no, I can talk about whoever I want. I don't know, maybe that means that you're not a Christian. Here's the whole point this morning. Making sin a settled lifestyle for you with no repentance or growth over time might be a warning to us that we're not in the faith, that we're not true Christians. Let me just stop here. I feel in my spirit like I need to say something. Um off script, but really important. Uh, some of you are new to the faith this morning. And uh, my fear is that you would hear this and, and go, um, I got to hurry up and get my act together. And in one sense, sure, our motives need to be correct in that. You're getting your act together has nothing to do with you earning your salvation, right? Salvation is all of grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So taking sin seriously should be something we do from day one. But at the same time, the Bible has a a big fancy word called sanctification. That means that our growth in holiness is a process. That doesn't mean that just because it's a process that we should take sin less seriously. But like like we don't expect our kids at age three, to behave like a 43-year-old man. Now, there, can be con- there will be consequences for a three-year-old, ju- but, 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 but there's a process, right, that we give, we give a little more grace to the three-year-old than maybe we do the 43-year-old, right? All that to say is don't, 
the, the analogy could break down if you think too hard about it, because I'm just doing it off the cuff here. Uh, but the, the point is, it's a process, okay? It's a process, right? So I want you to hear that if you're a new believer this morning. It's a process. And here's the other thing. Some of you live, might be living, you might become, be a new Christian, you might be living a lifestyle of sin right now, not because you have a hard heart against God, but you just simply haven't been taught, right? You haven't been taught. You don't know what the Bible says. Like you hear me say stuff about premarital sex this morning, and you may be living in that, not because you have a hard heart against God, because you just haven't been taught, right? So there, there's, there's, a prog- there's a process here. And, and we need to have grace for the process, okay? I want to make sure that's clear. One other thing is on script is um, one thing that we have to keep in mind when it comes to this text is I wouldn't want this to destroy our community by having a word like this this morning make you shy about confession, Okay? So you hear John say this morning, man, we got to be serious about sin. Sin's a big deal, and it is, and we do need to be serious about it. And so I got some sin in my life, and Zach said that we got to be serious about it from God's word, and so I don't feel like I'm maybe adequately serious about it, so I'm not going to bring it up. Wrong. Don't do that. Don't do that. What does the Bible say? James 5.16, confess your sins one to another. Why? So that you may be healed. Because the gospel is true, that Christ died for your sins, and he was raised from the dead, and so that you can become a new creation in Christ, who still has sin they're working through, but the attitude of the sin is what matters, right? I'm not settling in it. I'm going to repent of it. When that happens, you know that Romans 8.1 is true. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if I know that that's true, when I practice repentance and faith, and there's no condemnation for me, then I don't have to feel condemned because I'm not condemned. And so then I'm free to bring it into the light, right? What happens if we don't do that? We don't have the, the power of Christian community on our side, right? This is the kind of community where we want to come alongside people. And remind them that, man, this sin doesn't define you. It's not who you are. This is what God's word says. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to know this is safe. I'm going to share with you my struggles. And we're not just going to end with sharing. We're going to remind each other of the gospel. We're going to remind each other what God's word says. And we're going to grow together in holiness. But if you hear this message this morning and go, well, I don't know if I'm adequately serious enough about sin, so I'm just going to shut up about it. Man, you just weaken yourself in the Christian life. All right. So may we never be a community that that is is shy about confession because of a sense of condemnation. If you've turned from your sin and turned toward Christ, you're not condemned. You're a new creature. So you can bring it into the light, right? And say help me. You, God knows it all. Why why should I be scared to to let y'all know about it? Because I know who I am in Christ. You know who you are in Christ. You know what the Bible says. So that empowers confession without fear. Does that make sense? 
So you're free to confess. Let me just sum up here and we'll be done. You're free to confess because in Christ, these sins do not condemn you. And when you confess and get honest about it, there is a community that can come around you with Bibles open to show you the truth, remind you of your identity, walk with you in prayer and support. But John's warning this morning is that if we ever feel like sin is the new norm, or there's no sense of conviction whatsoever, and it's a habit and a settled lifestyle, be warned. That's not Christianity. That's not real faith. Christ does not dwell there, and may it never be so among us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you that you have promised to do the work of your word as we submit to it. Heavenly Father, we, um, if there's anybody struggling with what was said this morning, I pray that you would help them through our community here. Father, we thank you for dying for our sins so that we can have taste buds that change. Lord, I pray that taste, uh, sin would taste horrible and that holiness would, would, would be hunger for would hunger and taste, holiness would taste good um, to us as a people. Lord, I pray that we would um, be quick to confess where we sin. We'd free us from defensiveness because we know that you are our defense. You lay down your life for those sins so that we can confess them, bring them to you and to one another, and, and live in light of the freedom that you purchased for us as our substitute for our sins, bearing the wrath of God that we deserved. Um, may that news awaken us and enliven our hearts as we are reminded of it this morning in the Lord's Supper. And may we come um, rejoicing in that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.